You are listening to the To and Out CFL Podcast, a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. Joe Cap can rest easy. Um, you know, he should be able to get some decent sleep, uh, knowing that he's safe for now <laughs> until he meets Mosca. Grab some poutine and a double-double. It's time for the To and Out CFL Podcast. Now they have to kick it out, and they do! Every week, Travis Cura. Does anybody still care about this podcast? And Brazilian Tide. Hunters are people, too. Talk fantasy football, bring you the latest in CFL news, and sprinkle in a little bit of nonsense. Are you kidding? This is unbelievable! Ready, set, hunt! And we are a part of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. I'm Travis Cura. Brazilian Tide is here, and... Uh, Starting the show this week, today, a little bit of a somber note as the CFL has lost one of its greatest characters of all time. King Kong Angelo Mosca has passed away at 84 years old after battling Alzheimer's. He was uh, diagnosed in 2015. And Mosca is Hamilton. Hamilton is Mosca. Like, this guy, he's like one of those, uh, almost like a comic book superhero when it comes to the Canadian Football mm-hmm. League. I, I got into his book in the last uh, 10 years or so, uh, Say It to My Face, it was called. And I, I read it again recently because Oz Davis of the Rouge, White, and Blue CFL podcast had a side project, Truly the Goats. And uh, did a special episode on Angelo. And revisiting his life and his career, this guy is going to live forever in Hamilton and in CFL history. Just an absolute legend, Ty. Mm, yeah, yeah, that's fair. And probably holds one of the greatest moments of Grey Cup lore. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> After his playing days. Jo- jo- <laughs> yeah, Joe jo- Cap can rest easy. Um you know, he should be able to get some decent sleep, uh, knowing that he's safe for now <laughs> until he meets Mosca uh, when he when he finally passes. But uh, no, it's it, it's just one. Of, it's a loss. Uh, but at the same time, you look at you know what he has dealt with the last couple of years, and it's almost a sense of relief. Yeah. At the same time, uh, but it is a loss for the CFL family and the league as a whole. Uh, like you said, he's basically a superhero uh, in Hamilton, right? With with you know, his playing days and what he did off the field and everything. So it, it, I think that loss will be felt, uh, you know, and, and I wonder too, if, if the players maybe uh, use it as a rallying point a little bit uh, for the rest of the year. I kind of think so. I, I recently, I was even watching some of his matches on, uh, on the WWE network, right? Mm-hmm. Towards the end of his wrestling career, he did some matches in New York and he was wrestling, like in the football off season, this guy, this guy was awesome, and I think he's got a CFL record tie that I don't know will ever be matched. He played fifteen seasons, nine Grey Cup appearances. That's insane. I don't know if that'll ever be touched. No, not not that percentage. Yeah, <laughs> that's absolutely wild. Rest in peace. 
Angelo Mosca. Join 2 and out for CFL Fantasy and CFL Pick'em and show Kura and Ty what you got. They are who we thought they were. Just click cflfantasy.tsn.ca. Enough from talking about it. There has to be consequences. And pick'em.cfl.ca. This episode of 2 and Out is brought to you by the Alberta Association of Optometrists. Proudly celebrating a century of caring for Albertans. It happens. One in four school-aged kids have vision problems. Yet 80% of learning is visual for a child. So that's why booking family eye exams with an optometrist helps ensure learning success. You can't detect hidden eye problems, but your optometrist can. So Alberta Health coverage towards annual eye exams is available until your child's 19th birthday. Book your family's eye exam today at optometrists.ab.ca. The Alberta Association of Optometrists represents almost 800 doctors of optometry in over 80 communities across Alberta. Members are highly trained, regulated health professionals who provide primary eye health and vision care to Albertans. Learn more at optometrists.ab.ca. Let's uh, start talking about week 14 here. And the, the first game of the week was the Ticats beating the Lions 26-18. And this first quarter tie was basically taken up by the first two drives of the game. Both teams were controlling the ball they were, they were moving it down the field, and it looked like it was going to be close right down to the wire. And it was uh, it, it, it definitely looked like a different BC Lions team than we had seen uh, the last few weeks. Michael Riley was, he looked like he was on. He didn't always have mm-hmm. the support of his supporting cast, but he definitely wanted to win, and he wanted to try to keep the BC's playoff hopes alive here. Yeah, and... and- you know, they – I don't want to say it's must win or that it was coming in. I don't think it was. But, you know, a loss basically ends their season, right? So, yeah, I mean, it, we talked about it with Ottawa and, and, and Edmonton, you know, playing for pride and, you know, how that – they're they're basically playing for jobs next season. Well, BC is kind of in that mode, but they're they're kind of in the, that mushy middle where you know they they're kind of playing for jobs next year, but at the same time they still have that outside chance. So it, it's kind of weird. But mm-hmm. you know, Mike Riley comes out and looked, or sorry, Michael Riley comes out and looks almost like like they needed Mike Riley last night to show up. Didn't quite get it. Didn't quite get it, but <laughs> right. it was one of the better games BC's played. Yeah, uh, th- that first drive, field goal drive the BC had, 13 plays, 74 yards, 7 minutes and 40 seconds. Mm-hmm. To, to to start a game on the road like that, it's a good start. Obviously, you wanted the touchdown, and if it does become the touchdown, uh, I don't think there's a better way you could start a game on the road. And then BC... Or Hamilton comes back, and they had a 12-play drive that took set six minutes off the clock. So there's almost the entire first quarter there. But after the game, Michael Riley was very frustrated. I guess that there was all sorts of headset issues. Yeah. And towards the end of the game, you could definitely see it. But at many points during the game, they couldn't communicate with him in his headset. He was very upset after the game, and... 
rightfully so. When, when you got to interview after a tough loss like that and things aren't working the way they should, I'd be pretty upset as well. Mm-hmm. But, man, sometimes you sometimes you got to wonder if the, the premier quarterbacks in the league should be given a little bit more power to make their own plays and their own calls on the field when stuff like this is going down. Especially when it's somebody like Michael Riley who's seen basically everything this exactly. league can throw at him. Uh, you know, something did seem off. And then when was the last time you saw Michael Riley take a time count? Right. Right. And right yeah. then I, I knew something something had to be up. We find out after the game what it was. Uh, but, yeah, in that situation, the the OC has to know by that point. Like, I mean, it would have been early on in the game that they, they figured out, okay, the communication is not, you know, it, it's not, we can't count on it. How how do you not let him start calling the game? You, you can trust Michael Riley to do that, um, and and they or give him a set of plays before he gets out there. Or something right, because like you, you that. can do I that mean, on I, the bench. Yeah, um, and you know they, they didn't make the adjustment, and we we talk about teams having to make adjustments throughout games all the time, and they didn't make the adjustment that they needed to with with the communication problems they had, and it cost them. By the end of the first half, the Ticats had a 15-3 lead. And I think really the dagger was <laughs> right at the end of the first half. The Ticats had a 98-yard six-play drive. Just beautiful passes from Jeremiah Mazzoli right where it needed to be for Stephen Dunbar. It was, a, I think, a 47-yard gain. And then that touchdown to Brandon Banks, his first, which Mm -hmm. (laughs) it it feels weird to say, his first touchdown of the 2021 season. Brandon Banks finally gets it at the end of the first half in this one. And they're definitely getting him more involved now. He's looking more like himself. He had six catches, 75 yards, and the touchdown in this one. That, that's what we've been saying is that he hasn't looked like himself. And I don't know if it was, you know, the fact there was three different quarterbacks in the span of four games earlier on in the season. You know, his best week was week one with this team. And, you know, he, he hasn't been getting the ball. And when he has been getting looks, you know, there have been drops and, and, and some poor accuracy from the quarterback position. Uh, the, maybe this, this touchdown gets him back on track. I, I don't know. Uh, but it was nice to see him finally find the end zone this season, you know, especially with even just fantasy wise, like it's nice to have a number one receiver in your lineup, but at the price he was early on Mm -hmm. in the year, you, you couldn't justify that until he started putting up scores. Does this open the floodgates? Hopefully, uh, especially if you're a tire cats fan, it's nice to see banks get a touchdown and maybe keep this rolling, uh, with the rest of that receiving core, uh, they can do a lot of damage. It helps that you see Jeremiah Mazzoli just making dynamite plays all over the field. Uh, He goes 19 of 26, 258 yards, and the one touchdown. But he's over 70% completion percentage. But the biggest change for the Ticats offense over the past two weeks is that they actually have a running game. And Mm -hmm. uh, Don Jackson only only had 12 carries, but... Double-digit carries is not really something we've seen on a regular basis for Ticats running backs. He had 80 yards, just shy of seven yards a carry. He's looking fresh. 
he looks like a guy that hasn't been running all season long. <laughs> and yeah. it's probably because he hasn't been. He added 56 yards in the air as well. And he might be the MVP of the Ticats, not for the whole season, but down the stretch the, here. The stretch they drive. look like a completely different unit. Yeah. And if you're going to average 6.7 yards per carry, granted, I mean, that average is inflated by a 31-yard run. But right. if if they can do that and trust him to run the ball and protect it, it opens up their offense because you can slow down pass rushes with a run game. And we saw that on Saturday uh, in, in one of the other games. So, and, you know, four four catches, like he said, he's doing it both, like, you got to respect both at both aspects of his game. Uh, it was one thing Hamilton hasn't done consistently all year is run the football, and they they've been. I mean, twelve carries isn't crazy, but they have been you know not afraid to run the ball. It seems as much in the last few games, and I don't know if that's just a product of of it getting later in the year, or if you know maybe Don Jackson finally producing and they're they're starting to trust him more. I don't know what it is, but it can only make this team better. Man, that was frustrating. Don Jackson has a big run, and he gets tackled at about the two or three yard line, and he got a bit banged up on the play, so he had to leave. In comes mm-hmm. Sean Thomas Erlington for the touchdown. The, the vulture. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and to BC's credit, they tried to run the ball. 14 carries to James mm-hmm. Butler, 51 yards, and he did have the touchdown. But Lucky Whitehead seemed back to his normal self. Wasn't really that nervous anymore about the hand he had nine catches 98 yards Burnham was making plays seven for 77 but the the struggles on the ground made BC pretty one-dimensional at points in the game so Riley was taking a pounding and he was standing in there making the throws trying to lead his team to the victory and they they only did lose by you know the, the one score at the end of the day, but just not enough to beat the Ticats at home. Well, and you talk about BC's running game. They got to play Calgary next week. And yeah. Calgary's D-line has, can, can can be lights out. They got to get a running game here in, a week, in five days. They got to figure out how to do it because that's the way their offensive line is played. And, you know, it's played better than they did last year. But I mean, it's still it can still look really bad at times. It's not it's not going to get the job done at three point six yards a carry. It's just not. Well, and the stamps coming off the bye, and they've got Reggie Bagleton back in the fold. Mm-hmm. I, <laughs> yep. The 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 Western playoffs are going to be Calgary fun. is, is going to clinch Friday night. I think is what you're yeah. saying. I I think so. BC is sitting at four and eight on the season now. Calgary is at five hundred six and six. BC is in uh, pretty tough uh, the rest of the season. Let's go to Edmonton. The second half of the Friday night football doubleheader, where the Saskatchewan Roughriders just beat the Elks nineteen <laughs> seventeen yeah. was the final score there. Just pretty much an ugly game, but the the rider offense. Well, and I guess we'll give Edmonton credit here. A lot of their starters for all the season were sitting. James Wilder Jr., Darrell Walker, Greg Ellingson. They weren't playing, and the Elks looked like they had intensity. 
They looked like they had fight. They had effort. Hmm. They didn't want to like be they cared. Yeah. Well, they didn't want to be the <laughs> the team to nope. not win a home game all season long for the first time in Edmonton football history. So they came out with some passion. And I mean, Walter Fletcher had 74 yards rushing. He had 66 yards receiving as well at, at running back. It's just Saskatchewan just wins these ugly games and they kind of just play ugly football. (laughs) And is it, is it time? Maybe we look at, Fajardo is maybe being part of the problems and I love the guy and I know a lot of Ryder Nation loves the guy but yeah some of this stuff it's just not good enough that first throw of the football game from Cody Fajardo yeah it was terrible he put it where only the DB could get it yeah that interception was right at the start of the game just brutal and it almost felt like a oh here we go again Right? Like, we're going to go into Edmonton late in the year, lose a football game that they need to win. But, yeah, you look at it from the Elks perspective, guys like Walter Fletcher, Daniel Vandervoort, to an extent, Jalen Culver. They're they're playing for next year. They 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 want to solidify a roster spot. Taylor Cornelius, 21-35 for 322 and two touchdowns. You know, they signed Nick Arbuckle uh, last week to the extension. So... And then Elizondo comes out and says that it's going to be an open a competition. It can't like you can't call it a competition. You're going to pay the guy starter money. You're not going to sit him. So now Cornelius is trying to make a case, mm-hmm. right? And he played way better than than I expected him to against this Riders defense. He's making a case, especially in the fourth to quarter. Not, yeah, you know, to not it'll it it'll have to be a competition for him to win the job. But you know, trying to get some a little bit of a leg up, uh, you know the the. The guys that haven't been starting all year and, and were getting, uh, you know, spelled in and stuff, th- they had to play like with the intensity and, and like they cared because it matters to them. It, not even I don't even think winning was that big of an issue. Yeah, it would. It sucks to you know be the only team to not win a home game and, and the first time in Edmonton history. But these guys got to play well, win or lose, if they if they want jobs next year. And I think, you know, you look at somebody like Greg Ellison and, and Darrell Walker, they're getting signed somewhere. Uh, so, and, and they're not giving you what you need in this lineup. So, yeah, put the young guys in, and, and they played they played great considering the circumstances. Yeah, the key moment in the first half, I thought, was, well, basically right at the end of it, uh, two minutes left in uh, the second quarter, Saskatchewan gets pretty good, pretty good field position have the big play to Duke Williams, and then Braden Lenius has the touchdown. And at, at the end of the first half, it was 10-3. But, mm-hmm. but Edmonton had the ball for about 11 minutes of the first quarter. <laughs> and then the third quarter kind of balanced. Saskatchewan was only able to put up six points. But the, the fourth quarter was kind of all Edmonton. And... <laughs> The Saskatchewan secondary at times at the game looked really good, but Taylor Cornelius was just able to turn it on in the mm-hmm. in the fourth quarter, and there was a lot of hands-on hips for that Saskatchewan defense. I don't know what it was, 
But maybe it's, you know, on the road in Calgary, on the road in Montreal, on the road in Edmonton. Pretty tough stretch there. And Edmonton almost took advantage of that. And you did mention Dan, Danny Vandervoort. Who had him in their fantasy lineup? Two touchdowns. (laughs) I want to say nobody. (laughs) The, The first one. Was that a caterpillar? Was it a centipede? I don't know. I, I said I said centipede as a joke in the group chat to be disgusting. Because <laughs> that's my mo to be completely was, offside most of the time. But I don't know. It was man. a good selly. I'll say that. <laughs> it's not as good as Brady Kachuk's, but I'll give him like a four and a half out of ten. <laughs> but the key there. Is Luchez Purifoy stopping the two-point conversion? Look mm-hmm. at the final score, and that two-point conversion ends up becoming pretty key. And the two-point conversion will become a factor again later in the game when Edmonton scores a touchdown to be down by four. <laughs> Normally, you're thinking, okay, you kick the extra point, you're down by three, now you only need a field goal to send this thing to overtime. Yeah. Well, they decided to go for two. Well, it turned out Saskatchewan had a pass interference on the play, so they got to retry for from the one. But Elizondo, after that pass interference, changed his mind and wanted to go for the single point. <laughs> what? Like, Which you can't do. What? Some of these coaches are absolute boneheads. <laughs> we saw it in a gray cup challenging a challenge right and getting yeah. a penalty stuff like that just it boggles my mind how you don't know they ended up getting the two-point conversion but but still but th- it i mean if they run the kicker out there and a whole another offensive team yeah the, the clock could be running and if you want to make that if if you want to make those switches to be like, what do you mean we can't kick it? You've only got twenty. You've only got the play clock to get your offense back out there. Yeah, that's not not the refs' issue that you don't know the rules. It's just stuff like that. It's just so stupid. Like somebody even said in the group chat. Well, now he's kicking it. I'm like, he can't. There's he can't. Like I don't know. I want what he's smoking. <laughs> Uh, the key here is Edmonton did not turn the ball over. Mm-hmm. They, uh, If they did, then you'd think Saskatchewan would have really been able to capitalize, but that's kind of been the issue at times for Edmonton during the season, interceptions and uh, things like that. And Saskatchewan got close a couple times, but they weren't able to do it. Uh, so, so these teams are going to play again. Saturday in uh, in Regina, and it's going to be the start of a very ugly stretch for the Edmonton Elks, who, yeah, are just playing for jobs and playing for careers. And it's really unfortunate that, the, that these players have to do it three times in seven days because that, mm-hmm. that's not the way football works. It's not the way it's built. It, it's and hard enough playing, playing a game once a once week. Once a week. Yeah. And shout out to Duke Williams for uh, being the receiver. <laughs> like, That's clearly why Saskatchewan brought him in. 
Hundred percent. But like we're gonna be up <laughs> late in games and teams are gonna try onside kicks. We need to get those. Sign Duke Williams. Yeah. Why wouldn't He's you? Three for three. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's uh move on to Saturday here. Oh boy. The Toronto Argonauts beating the Ottawa Red Blacks twenty three twenty. I know that I the Argos Okay, what's your question? How the hell did Ottawa get twenty? Yeah, they should have had more. You're right. <laughs> Travis. I'm sorry. They almost won another game with under 100 yards passing. Wow. Well, it's, you know, Devontae Dedman. <laughs> yeah, that's also and, fair. And the poor guy also had about a 95-yard kick return called back due to mm-hmm. penalty. They they could have, well, they should have won this game. Uh Two for 11 they are on the season now. And this game and and the way they weren't able to win this game shows exactly why their record is the way it is. McLeod Bethel-Thompson has been anointed the starter in Toronto. And this was not a good game from him, Ty. No, it, it... 28 to 44, 293 yards. I mean, the percentage isn't there. The yardage isn't bad. Then you look, three picks and, and a touchdown. Uh, that It's not going to get it done. It did because you played Ottawa. <laughs> exactly. It's that, not going to work that against... That doesn't win you a playoff game. No, it's not going to work against playoff teams. No. Well, it again, credit to, to Ottawa. They could have just packed it up and Mm -hmm. played terribly, but their defense was bringing the pressure. They were fighting for every single thing. They were hitting McLeod Bethel Thompson. They were forcing him to make bad decisions. They were picking him off. So they were flying all over the field. So credit to them also playing for next year and uh, playing Mm -hmm. for a career in pro football. But I mean, Lewis Ward just signs the extension He's got the pro football record for most consecutive field goals. But in he this was, one... He was going to be, you know, he was their MVP is what we thought. Like, you know, every team names their own awards. He was going to be the MVP and it wasn't even going to be close. At the start Realistically, of the year. Ty, who would Ottawa's MVP be? Cool. That's, <laughs> well, De- have, Deadman. Like, it's Devontae Deadman. It's, it's Deadman, yeah. Like... Yeah. Other than that, like that's the lone bright spot. Maybe Richie Leone. And their two wins against the Elks. Speaking of Richie Leone, that guy, he's punting amazing. And last game, the Saskatchewan game, Vedvik, what did he have, that 75-yard punt that went out at the four? Yeah, John Ryan can be released. <laughs> We're good. There's some good punting going on, and I know Richie Leone has the best net average for punters in the CFL, so I guess he's mm-hmm. been a bright spot for the Red Blacks. But Lewis Ward, missing one from 47, 48, 43, leaving all those points on the board when you only lose by three. Oh. Yeah. It's pretty obvious to see what went wrong. Now, at the yeah. same time, yeah, you can blame Lewis Ward because he misses those kicks, but you can also blame the offense for stalling out at the 40. 
there is so many times, several times in this game, where Deadman and the defense put the offense in a position to succeed and to finish basically, drives. And, basically had to yeah. bail them out. Yeah. And Duck Hodges goes 8 of 22 for 90 yards. You got that jersey on order yet? Next question. <laughs> you know what? Timothy Flanders looked good, too. 14 stupid, carries. Stupid, sexy Flanders. <laughs> 95 yards. And we, we can't really talk about much about Red Black's receivers because 90 yards gained here. But Devontae Dedman... They Their leading receiver guy. was R.J. Harris with 27 yards. Wow. Two, two catches. <laughs> uh, Devontae Dedman, uh, right after the first half, scores that 100-yard return touchdown and then uh, also had another big one called back. But mm-hmm. who knows? Lewis might have missed uh, the field goal <laughs> on that one. As for Toronto, I mean, do we have another receiver to look out for? Drez Anderson, 4 of 10, 80 yards. Only second to DeVaris Daniels, who had 84 yards receiving mm-hmm. uh, in this game. He looked good at would, times. It looked like I an would adventure like to see better than too. a 4 for 10 catch yeah. ratio. He should have had an even bigger game mm-hmm. <laughs> at receiver there. But I think... As, as we wrap up the season here, it's going to be uh, interesting to watch who's going to be able to wrap up the season at running back for the Argos because John White ended up having to leave the game with a knee injury and uh, you just feel for the guy. He battled through two, mm-hmm. three season-ending injuries while he was in Edmonton and he's been healthy the last little while and had to leave the game here and it just didn't look good. There, he only had seven carries, and man, I, I hope it's not as serious as it looked. But AJ Ouellette comes in, runs hard, 14 carries, 107 yards. DJ Foster missed the game. Ty did not get the memo. Foster was in hey, his fantasy my, lineup. My fantasy lineup is like a Ronco rotisserie. Hey, I had that kind of week last week, too. So. You, just, you set it and forget it. Yeah. <laughs> That that was a rough one for you. But I, I just want to look at it big picture for Toronto. Mm-hmm. I, I know they're undefeated at home. Mm-hmm. But there's a showdown for first place at BMO Field this weekend with Hamilton coming to town. They have to figure out a lot in just yeah. a few days before the Ticats show up. Because if they play like this, it's going to be ugly. It'd be over at halftime. I don't know what it was, but since Arbuckle got traded, <laughs> McLeod mm-hmm. Bethel Thompson, I mean, maybe he plays better under pressure with somebody under his, over his shoulder. I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I hope that's not the case because then you're never gonna get you're never gonna get the reins, right? Yeah. If, mm-hmm. if that's the only way you can play, the minute you start making mistakes, you're you're pulled anyway. You're not gonna be able to work through them. He's getting to work through them now, and I don't know. Yeah, he's a starter, but I don't know if he is a starter. Yeah, I mean, it's it's always hard to critique wins. And, mm-hmm. yeah, they went and got the win. And this was kind of like that game for Saskatchewan in Edmonton where playing a team at the bottom of the division and 
yeah, they got the win. It was probably a lot uglier than it had to be or it should have been. But uh, Toronto had some veterans getting back into the lineup on the offensive line, and those guys are getting used to playing next to each other again, I guess. I mean, Mm -hmm. you see what Ottawa did and changing the old line combination every single week. It just doesn't bode well, and it's really been a struggle for Toronto over the last few weeks here. Dexter McCoyle had to hit the six-game injured list. Peter Nicastro has been starting at center for most of the season. Last week, you know, on about Wednesday, they're saying, ah, he'll be good to go this weekend. Well, guess what? He's on the six-game injured list. Yeah. So <laughs> the, inju- the injuries are coming at a terrible time if you're an Argos fan. Absolutely, and they're going to affect them, I think, going into the playoffs here. Mm-hmm. They're kind of limping into those playoffs a little bit. Yeah, and that it's not exactly the ideal situation. You want to be hitting playoffs, you know, playing your best football and, and you know, kind of getting in that groove. Uh, if you're kind of running out, like every team at this point in the season is banged up. You're going to be running out yep. new lineups, maybe not to this extent that we've seen. Uh, for some teams, but like you know, like a a backup here or, or you know one wide receiver, maybe not quite the overhaul that you see on the Red Blacks offensive line every week or what's went on in Toronto the last couple of weeks, uh, and that that just makes it tough coming down the stretch. The the one saving grace is that yeah is that they do have a, they have a clinched playoff spot, but if they want that to be a home playoff spot, they got to get healthy and they got to play a lot better than they did this week. Yeah, and they only have a few days to figure that out. So. Yeah, and and Hamilton's starting to starting to hit stride, and it it's a terrible time for the Argos to, <laughs> to be playing Hamilton. <laughs> Don't often say that about a team uh, sitting in first place in their division, but that, no. that's that's where we are. Well, as an as an Oilers fan, I've had to say that oh, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> the last game of Week 14. Which, by the way, Ty, this is normally the final weekend of the CFL regular season. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've been to games in Regina where it is full-blown blizzard in about minus 15. Winnipeg kickoff conditions, 12 degrees on the first weekend in November. I don't think you could ask for better football weather <laughs> in Winnipeg. Nope. I don't think the West Final will be that nice, though. Oh, God, no. <laughs> the 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 mother nature is looking out for the canadian football league so far well fingers crossed for the rest of the uh, I, I want here. every game from here on out to be minus 20 in a foot of snow there might be uh, more than a couple of those this year man <laughs> mm-hmm. and i am here for it <laughs> the winnipeg blue bombers beat the montreal alouettes 31 31- 21 again the difference the fourth quarter the bombers and the owls each got a touchdown in the first second and third quarters of this game montreal getting shut out in the fourth but trevor harris getting his first start as a montreal alouette well i know we threw the two picks but man it was uh, a lot more successful than his last start against winnipeg while he was in edmonton uh, yeah, that that's pretty safe to say. Fifty six percent though, that's not very pretty. The two picks, like you said, yeah, he did offset those with two touchdowns, only one hundred and seventy seven yards. Uh, still, to put up twenty one points on this Winnipeg team is nothing yeah. to shake a stick at. So, 
you know, you, you can take positives away. It's, it sucks to try to – moral victories don't count, right? But yeah. uh, you know, coming into a back-to-back next week now, week 15, uh, going up against Winnipeg again, it, you're, not, you're not going in like you lost a game 31 nothing. Like you stuck with this team until the fourth quarter, you know, and now you get to play at home, make a couple adjustments, and you might be able to double their points allowed, you know, in the fourth quarter this week. Maybe, maybe you can get yeah. six, right? But I mean, it's it's just one of those things. Yeah, it it didn't look pretty, but I mean, they stuck with them. But again, that fourth quarter, Winnipeg just they they bring in the closer. I I don't know what it is. Enter Sandman comes over the spe- the loudspeaker and it's just it's lights out, man. And we we were talking about this before we hit record here. Montreal showed that mm-hmm. I think the way to beat Winnipeg is to run the ball, and not every which sounds se- counterintuitive. It it kind of does with Winnipeg's defensive line and their linebackers mm-hmm. and things like that, but. And well, and not every CFL team is blessed to have a William stand back there. They they yeah. just aren't. Uh, so he had 106 yards on 16 carries. He's getting over six yards a carry. He was getting chunks at a time, and that was big for Montreal to keep up with him. And they talked about it at halftime. I think they had to use stand back even a little more because slowing down the pass rush and. You saw how fast Jefferson and Jeffcoat were getting off the ball because Harris was with his new offense. They were just going on one. And as yeah. soon as the ball moved half a millimeter, <laughs> they were on top of him. I got to give credit to the offensive tackles in Montreal because that, that, that is not a matchup you want with a brand new Harris, quarterback in your system could have been absolutely destroyed here yeah. and he really <laughs> he made it out of the game obviously he got hit a few times but it could have been really ugly and they kind of mm-hmm. they were able to take care of it a little bit there which was kind of impressive well yeah if you can run the ball yeah i don't even know if you necessarily need to be super productive but you have to be willing to keep at it because yeah, they can't just. If you're gonna let the front four pin their ears back because you're passing on ninety percent of your plays, it's not gonna work against this team. Jack Jackson, Jeffcoat, and Willie Jefferson are gonna get there. Uh, you know, and if they're not, one of them's gonna be doubled. It's gonna open up matchup in, inequalities somewhere else in that on that if they're gonna blitz or, or somewhere else on that defensive line, and and your quarterback's gonna be left out, hung out to dry. Uh, yeah, six point six average is great. Uh, Sixteen carries. I mean, if you can, maybe if they give him the ball twenty five times, maybe it works. Maybe they come away with the win. I don't know, but it's when you have those two guys on the on the edges, you can do all you want. Bringing it, you know, bringing in a guy to chip, uh, double teaming, everything else like that. But if if you can commit to running the ball, they can't just come at you. And we saw that they would use it to to some pretty good success in the in this game, and especially in the first three quarters. I had to laugh late in the game when Tony Washington took a procedure penalty, and uh, Willie Jefferson <laughs> was in his face. 
And Tony yeah. just laughed it off. I'm like, I can't blame him. I'd be taking a procedure every single play. Man. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'd be pulling in Xavier Fulton more than likely. Just like stand he, there. Oh, he went around me again. When oh, you're yeah. that fast that you look offside every play, it's right. Uh, it's I, he might be offside on half of the plays, but the refs can't catch it because it's just too fast. Yeah, yeah. Jake Winicky, uh touchdown Jake is back. He had four catches mm-hmm. on four targets for 60 yards. Even Quan Bray had 62 yards receiving. He was Montreal's leading receiver. Winston Rose, first game back in Winnipeg. It was his first game and looked like he was on Eugene Lewis for most of the game. And Lewis had three catches, 44 yards. So Rose, uh, I'd say, held his own in this yeah. one. As for Winnipeg, I mean, Drew Wolitarski has a touchdown. Nick Dembski is just all over the place. He has a receiving touchdown. He was running the ball as well. Kenny Lawler has a 100-yard game, seven catches, 111 yards. I want to ask you about Winnipeg's defense or offense. I kind of wonder if we're going to see the... The carry share between Johnny Augustine and Brady Oliveira kind of reverse over the next few weeks if they don't get Harris back in there before the playoffs. Yeah. They're going to need... This team, I mean, we always thought they were built around Andrew Harris and running the football. Uh, Harris goes out this year and all of a sudden Zach Kalaros is MOP candidate. Being able to throw the ball uh, all over the field... (laughs) Uh, but that's because Oliver and Augustine have been able to carry that weight, right? And if they got to if they got to platoon them out of the backfield and get them the carries, you know, get them. I don't know if they are going to carry the ball as much as Andrew Harris did. I, that's a lot to ask. But if if they can get, you know, seventy five to eighty percent of the carries and, and yardage that Andrew Harris was getting when he was healthy, I mean, this offense should be fine. Well, kind of looked like. Well, and they were doing it. They were just rotating every series. You know, Augustine yeah. will get this one. Olivero will get the next one. And and, and yeah, when you, you do don't... that, it's it's nice. I'd rather them do that than, you know, pull a guy in in a series. And then, you know, so let's say they pull Olivero and bring Augustine because of a play call. Right? Yeah, you see that yeah. in the NFL where they have the back that's the receiving back. And, well, you see it in the in the CFL too, but you know, more, more or less, more of it in the NFL where they have a receiving back and a, and, and the back that runs more. And so when, when a guy comes in, I mean, it's pretty, pretty obvious they're going to run a screen or something like that. At least this keeps the defense on their toes a little more. Two interceptions for the bombers in the fourth quarter. One from Adam mm-hmm. Big Hill, one from Deandre Alford, man, he might be the most outstanding rookie. Yeah. Season. He's probably going to be. Yeah. And he, he might be Winnipeg's nominee, absolutely, and maybe the entire CFL. Like, mm-hmm. the way he's been able to fit into the defense has been yep. impressive. So the Bombers put up 10 points in the fourth quarter and down go the Montreal Alouettes, who are sitting at 6-6. Six and six, Third in the East Division, Ticats 7-5, and five, Toronto 8-4. and four. And if you look at the West, it's Winnipeg 11-1. and one. Saskatchewan eight and four and Calgary six and six. I, I have a couple questions. Okay. Well, I guess just one. At the start of the year, I believe I said that there would not be a crossover. And there's not going to be one. 
Thank you. <laughs> whenever, whenever there is one little prediction that you were going to get right, you got to throw it out there. So well done, buddy. Thank you. That's what I'm here for. Well, now I got to wonder how's how's Winnipeg going to manage this roster? They're going to Montreal and then they're going to Calgary to end their season. Mm-hmm. Who are they going to play? I mean. I think you let the vet. I think you kind of you have to have the have the players in on it and see who needs. I bet you they want to play like, those vets. I think I would rather rest them in this back to back against Montreal and have them play in Calgary to minimize the time off. And either way, the they still got the buy. Well, that's what I mean. You want the, the playoffs, so yeah. Right, that's what I mean. Right, so you have that buy in the playoff. I would rather have them playing like like a normal schedule where you would have a bye week and it's only one week right instead of them playing a majority of the vets playing in montreal this week this upcoming week and then not playing in calgary and then you have the the buys and it's just i i would rather keep it more of a traditional schedule setup I had a 76-point week in fantasy. I think that gave me a win in the Canadian Football Podcast Network Fantasy Challenge. But uh, McLeod Bethel-Thompson as my quarterback didn't help me. Nope. Uh, DeVaris Daniels was my leading scorer, 19.4 points. Do I have to pull mine up? You don't have to do that, man. I I won't make you do it. (laughs) Uh, First, before we get to the numbers, we are a part of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. You can check out all the great shows at albertapodcastnetwork.com. I was actually just scrolling through and I I came across my Viewfinder podcast with photographer David Yun. Uh, Check that out, albertapodcastnetwork.com. Turns out that photography is not just... You know, sticking your camera and pressing a button. <laughs> There's a lot. <laughs> There's a lot that goes into it. Uh, learn I think about that's the... literally the definition. It's just <laughs> learn about the thought process that photographers use with the My Viewfinder podcast, a part of the Alberta Podcast Network. Be- before we get to the fantasy numbers, I have yeah. Two questions. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> this is wild. Call, <laughs> we call Jake Winnicky touchdown Jake. Yeah, yeah. How many does he have? On the season? Like, I, the I season. haven't looked. I don't have this in front of look, me. Is look, it eight? Exact perfect. I don't want you to look. I want you okay, to. Okay, is it, is it eight? It's nine. Eugene okay. Lewis is second with seven. They have, they have the one two, right? When it comes when it comes to receiving touchdowns, who leads the CFL in rushing touchdowns? Well, I, I know it's Sean McGuire, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, with eight. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's touchdown, Sean. Yeah, and then Kadeem Kadeem Carey has six. Wow! Wow! Cody Fajardo in third, or tied for third with Sean Thomas Arlington and Michael Riley. And Stanback has three. <laughs> and Sean McGuire with his. Uh, it, he might steal. Half he, a yard this is like with David playing with Dreisaitl, where, like, who do you pick for the heart? 
Yeah. Who's your MOP candidate from Winnipeg? <laughs> Ty throwing is Sean still, McGuire out there. Is it still Kalaros? <laughs> I'm kidding. It's still Kalaros, but I, I find that I hilarious it. that he's got eight rushing touchdowns and leads the league just vulturing scores. I thought it was maybe a, a rough week when it came to uh, fantasy output. Wasn't a lot of like ridiculously high scores. No, there wasn't. No, uh, Taylor Cornelius led the way uh, for quarterbacks at twenty two point three. Michael Riley at twenty point six, and the aforementioned Zach Cornelius. Claros. Yeah, the aforementioned Zach Claros at nineteen point two. Sean McGuire seven point two. Uh, he outdueled uh, Devlin Hodges, uh, who only had six point one. So that's a pretty good week. Not. Um, <laughs> I thought BC didn't run the ball, but James Butler ended up with 21 points to lead the way for running backs, uh, followed up by Walter Fletcher and Don Jackson. So the two teams that don't run the ball uh, took first and second on the week. I mean, (laughs) granted, they were helped out by some receptions from the running backs. Uh, Brandon Banks led the way for wide receivers at 22.1. Vandervoort with 20.4. Lucky, uh, 19.6. Tavares Daniels, 19.4. And rounding up top five, Dominique Grimes at 18.8. Wow, wow. Vandervoort up there. That's pretty funny. The, the two well, touchdowns. Two, two touchdowns. Yeah. Yeah. Jake, Jake Winicky was an eight. Uh, was, with that touchdown, got him to 16. All right, there it is. Week 14 of the CFL season. We'll be back on Thursday to tee up the second last week of the regular season. It's Travis Curra, Brazilian Tide, the 2 L podcast. You can rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcatcher, Talk to you in a few days. Thanks for listening. Find more great shows like this at CF Pod Network on Twitter.